When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, it's Dan, and this is our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, and we went with that another Hey Mary Kay edition of the pod. So we went to our Football Insider subscribers, and we asked them to give us more questions to answer, or more specifically, to give Mary Kay more questions to answer. So I threw questions at her about how OTAs can help the defense, whether she would have made the Julio Jones trade that the Titans made, and a whole bunch of other things. Now, if you want to get involved in Football Insider, where you get an exclusive newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day, access to exclusive stories, on cleveland.com slash browns and you can become one of our tech subscribers go to cleveland.com slash browns click the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up okay here we go another hey mary k edition of the orange and brown Pod podcast and away we go on another hey mary k edition of the orange and brown talk podcast we're doing two of these this week, back-to-back, hey, Mary Kay. So, Mary Kay, let's get right to it. Our Football Insider subscribers came through with questions. And, hey, look, the preseason schedule came out today. Don't we want to talk about preseason? Al and South Euclid, this year is the first time there will be only three preseason games and a first for Coach Stefanski. Do we anticipate the Browns will have a dress rehearsal game this year? Well, you know what? That's a really good question. I do think that there will be a number of series where he will want to take a look at the first team offense out there on the field together and the first team defense out on the field together. But I don't think it's going to be necessarily like it used to be in the olden days where you got one full game of of three quarters. I, I don't know if they're going to feel the need to do that. I feel like the first one will be, uh, you know, just the usual one series each. The second one will be a couple and the third one will be more. I think the goal will be to, to get this team to the, the starting game, to the opener in Kansas city as healthy as possible. And they're not going to want to take a risk. So I would think that they'll get a ton of work done in training camp. They're a very efficient coaching staff, but I don't know if they're going to put guys out there in that final preseason game, because remember the, the third one used to be the dress rehearsal game. And then the fourth one, nobody played. So I don't know how, how they'll do this one. Do they do a couple series in the first and a little bit more in the second and then fewer in the third, they're going to have to come up with a strategy, but whatever that strategy is, it will include maximum health for the Kansas city chiefs, because that's the most important thing. Yeah. I'm really curious to see if maybe that second game becomes the pseudo dress rehearsal game. And if that first game, you know, maybe you, you play that quarter or so, 
And then if there is a, a dress rehearsal, whether it's three quarters or a half or whatever, if they decide to do that, if that becomes that game or, you know, I, I would imagine that third game is going to look a lot like the fourth preseason game used to. It's going to be a lot of like backups and it's, you know, it's two days before cut down day. I don't know that we're going to see starters a whole lot before that game. And I want to see how this group approaches it because this, of course, as we've talked about, right, data-driven, analytics-driven, sports science, how do they value these preseason games from a health standpoint, from a ramp-up standpoint, all of that? Yeah, and that third preseason game that you're talking about is also going to be a nationally televised Sunday night game on NBC. So what are fans all across the country going to see? Are they going to see Kyle Lawletta? playing quarterback for a bunch of the game, right? I mean, are they going to see, you know, Demetra Felton starting at running back? I mean, like, we really don't know what it, what it's going to be all about. But uh, I do think that they will be careful. They will be cautious because last year they didn't play any preseason games and they went 11 and five and they made it all the way to the AFC divisional round, of course, in Kansas City. So I think they'll be very smart about this. And once again, I think they will use training camp to get ready for the season and they will use the games for some evaluation and roster decisions, but I think they'll be very careful. Yeah, I would, ex- I would expect those fans, Al and Chris are going to get a lot of Kyle Loletta on. <laughs> hey, they might get the Case Keenum start, who knows, but I think they're going to get a lot of Kyle Loletta on that Sunday night game. I think uh, NFL yeah. fans might be a little disappointed on both fronts when they, when they tune into that one. Okay, that's enough about the preseason. Let's talk about OTAs. That's the other topic du jour. So we've talked about the offense and how they're kind of all meeting in Austin, at least the skill players, and and they're working out in Austin at at Camp Baker. The defense has had pretty good reporting numbers so far, and we've seen some more guys from the defense also show up this week. So from the 7-9 area code, hey, Mary Kay, with all the new players, wouldn't you think, that Brown's defenders would want to report to camp to get acclimated to the system, or at the very least get to know their new teammates and coaches. And would it hold the defensive progression back if they didn't show up? So I guess to paraphrase, since they have gotten good numbers out defensively, how important are these OTAs for this defense this year specifically? Well, I think it's been very important that the defensive players have shown up. And when I say that, I want to qualify it with this. I do firmly believe that these are voluntary and that we should not hold it against guys when they don't show up. However, when you have a bunch of new guys getting together on one side of the ball, I do think it benefits them to get to know each other on and off the field, to to get acclimated, to see what each other looks like, to see how you react in a certain situation, and just to kind of get the ball rolling on that side of the ball. And I think it was important that Miles Garrett showed up last week. I think it was important that Denzel Ward showed up last week. Now, will both of them be there when we go out there tomorrow? Not entirely certain that both of them will be there. But once again, I think it was important that they were both there in the first week to welcome all these new guys uh, to sort of set the tone and, and, you know, sort of welcome everyone to the team and, and get everything going. But uh, I do think there's a lot of teaching going on and there's a lot of installation going on. And it certainly cannot hurt the defensive players to, uh, you know, to be practicing together right now. Conversely, on the other side of the ball, I'm, call- I'm calling them ATAs, <laughs> Austin team activities. <laughs> I like it. 
Yeah. So we've got OTAs over here in Berea. We've got ATAs down in, down in Austin. It's not like they don't know what to do. I mean, these guys, as as we mentioned yesterday, they've been in virtual meetings. So they're taking the installation of the offense and they're putting it on the grass uh, down, down in Austin. And they're also having fun together. I mean, I've seen a few things here and there where, uh, you know, I don't know whether they're, you know, on a dock, on a boat or whatever they're doing, but, you know, they're, they're getting to know each other. And when you really like the guy next to you, and they did this last year with the four H's and things like that. But when you have some fun with a guy, you laugh with them, yeah, you, you know, you have a cookout, you go out to dinner, whatever, that goes a long way towards team bonding, camaraderie building, brotherhood, and all of those kinds of things that happen when you spend time with your teammates. So they've they've got a lot going on down there. You know, on that defensive side, I do think it it's helpful when, you know, Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa is there next to Anthony Walker. And those two get a chance to work together a little bit. You know, when, with John Johnson being there now, you know, he's going to get a chance to spend a little bit of time with like Richard LeCount and some of these other guys and, and kind of get to know them. And, and Troy Hill is, is there, uh, you know, we don't know, we don't have a full list of who's there yet. We're going to see, uh, we're going to see on Wednesday when, when we're out of practice, but I do think there's value in, I don't know how much you pick up necessarily in the practice itself because they're so light and it's so limited what you can do, but I do think being out there on the field with other guys and actually like seeing what their faces look like and having conversations with them on a, on a group where a lot of turnover has happened, I think is a good thing. The other thing about that, you're right. The other thing about that too, Dan, is the fact that you start to establish who the leaders on the football team are. And I think that is so vitally important. Now there are a lot of them on this defense. We've talked to these guys enough to know that there are some tremendous leaders on this football team. One of them is Anthony Walker. He was basically, it seemed to me, the undisputed leader of that Colts defense. I mean, those guys were like crushed when he left. Darius Leonard attributes a lot of his success to having Anthony Walker. And in the same vein, I think Anthony Walker is going to be a tremendous mentor for JOK and Tony Fields. Other guys in other positions as well, but specifically for those young linebackers and even existing young, young linebackers on the team, like Jacob Phillips and Sione Takitaki, I think he's going to have just a phenomenal impact on the linebacker room. And for some reason, especially JOK, I feel like he's really going to take JOK under his wing. Of course, this is a football team that has super high expectations for JOK. They're really, really excited about him and would have taken him in the first round. And I think that he will come so much faster up the learning curve for having Anthony Walker around. And it's good for the coaches too, even though, again, like we said, it's voluntary, but I'm sure the coaches love to have Anthony Walker there. And they, you know, Joe Woods gets to know him. Jason Tarver gets to know him. All these guys kind of get to know these players. Cause it, I mean, it is just different. It's different face-to-face than it is on Zoom. And they certainly got a lot done on Zoom last year and they got a lot done in those meetings and they're still doing a lot of virtual meetings. But it is different when you can just be face-to-face with someone and talk through things or just have a conversation with a guy while he's stretching or, or whatever it is. I mean, it's it seems, you know, it's stupid things like that that can kind of help you get to know a guy or, or get to know a player or get to know his style. Yeah, and the coaches also have to make decisions like who is going to wear the green dot and call the defensive signals and, and, you know, be that guy that has the headset. And there are a number of candidates for that. Anthony Walker is one of them. John Johnson is another one of them. 
And so this is where you start to kind of see how that's going to all shake out. Uh, you, you figure out, you know, who are the vocal leaders, who belongs on your leadership council, uh, who belongs, you know, whatever. If you need a guy to take another guy under his wing or mentor someone, maybe they're looking for a mentor for a guy like Malik McDowell, who has had to sort of turn his, his life around and get on the right track. You know, maybe they pair him with someone uh, that they feel can, can really help him maximize his potential on the field and in general. So these are those times when you start to see that. And again, it's not like this coaching staff has three, four years with this guy, with these guys, like, you know, look, look at all the years that Mike Tomlin has with, with his football team. You know, this is a, a coaching staff that they are really still getting to know their players. And it's in some cases, I mean, you know, with all the, you know, the masks and stuff that they had to do last year, you know, I mean, in, in some cases, I mean, just, just FaceTime now that they'll have, that they'll be able to really, you know, see a guy's facial expressions or, you know, just, just that's those sort of nonverbal cues. So there's a lot going on in, in that regard, but you can start to see who pairs up. You can see who's vocal. You can see who's teaching. Uh, and, and I, I just think there, there is a lot of value in it. Okay. So I've got my own question here. We, we know that J.C. Treader and the NFLPA are trying to sort of change the way they do things, right? In an ideal world, they don't want OTAs to really exist or minicamp to exist. I'm just wondering, and I thought about this last week, and it popped in my head as we were talking about it now. Is this kind of what OTAs is probably destined to look like moving forward here? Like, it probably won't get completely eliminated. But, I mean, I know in years past – the stories would be the guys that weren't there because it was just a handful of guys. And we're seeing other teams get big reporting numbers, but not across the league. So I just wonder, is this sort of the future of OTAs where it's going to be, you know, John Johnson doesn't show up the first week. He shows up for the second week and then it's mini camp time and some guys trickle in and out and, and things like that. And it's a lot of young guys, a lot of guys on the bubble. Some of the veterans just stay away until they have to, to show up. Is this kind of where you think this is headed long term, or is this a kind of a one year? Hey, the NFLPA is is kind of trying to flex its muscle a little bit, and we might be back to normal. I don't think we really know the answer to that yet, but I do think you're making a good point that uh, that this is probably closer to the way it's going to go, where certain players will now feel a little bit more emboldened not to show up because the NFLPA and J.C. Treader, the president have really made a push for, you know, let's stop shaming people for not being there. And I, every time I go and, you know, on, here on our podcast or on the radio or, or whatever, I, I do try to send that message home. Let's not shame the guys that are not there. I mean, does Odell deserve to be shamed? Look at how hard he's working to come back from, from his ACL. I mean, some of these other guys are, are training with some like really incredible trainers out in other places and, and getting better at their craft. Uh, so I, I think that's important to let them be what they are. And that is voluntary. If we, if, if we want to start criticizing people, it would have to be mandatory to be able to do that. So I think that's important. Now, the other thing that they could do that teams could do uh, are put more workout bonuses into the contracts. If you put workout bonuses into the contracts that say you have to come to the 10 OTAs to get this bonus, that's the way to get a guy there. So you throw in an extra 
whatever, $250,000 workout bonus, and then you get better attendance. So maybe that's the wave of the future as well. We're going to get off OTAs here for a second. I'm surprised nobody asked about this, but I feel like this is something we've got to talk about. I'm kind of all over the place here, but we didn't talk about this yesterday. I think we need to. We didn't talk about Julio Jones traded to the Tennessee Titans. So I'll ask this one since our football insider subscribers, who usually come through for us. They, they didn't have a Julio Jones question. Hey, Mary Kay, would you have made that trade for Julio Jones? You know what? I, I would not have made that trade for Julio Jones because, and, and I, I said this heading into it, I, I think the Browns have what they need. And I think, you know, their receiver room is, is in really good shape this year. They already have two very dynamic receivers that are going to be, I think they're going to be 29 this year. They'll be 29 this year. So you're already kind of getting up there with those two guys. So, so it wasn't going to make sense to add a 32 year old receiver that, you know, they start to, they do start to kind of go off the cliff when a receiver goes, gets to 33, they're starting to, to go on the back nine of their career. There are the, the exceptions to the rule, but there starts to be a decline. Uh, so they already have a couple of guys in that situation right now that are way up high in the salary stratosphere. So I, would, I wouldn't have done that. They couldn't have taken, I don't think they could have taken on a $15.3 million receiver without doing something else drastic. They would have had to trade Odell or something. And that wasn't going to happen. I mean, that, they, they weren't going to be able to do that. I wouldn't have made that trade. Uh, I think after this year, it's time to start looking ahead and looking down the road at your next crop of really good young receivers. So now the, the follow-up to that is, does this trade change how you view the Titans in the AFC? Obviously a team that can win their division. I mean, they were a team that could win their division before and a team that could get to the playoffs before. Does this change how you view them? I think so. I mean, I think that this is a player that, that they needed to just kind of maybe help them get over the hump a little bit. And again, I saw you tweet that the offense wasn't their problem uh, last year. And you're right about that. Their, their defense was the absolute problem. But still, when you add a player like Julio, you know, if you can score the football and score more touchdowns, that makes a huge difference in winning football games. And I always go back to the year that Derek Anderson and Braylon Edwards connected for 16 touchdowns. It was a major reason they won so many games that year, 10 games. And I do think that a player such as Julio can be the difference between another two victories for you. And those two victories could be the difference in winning your division or making the playoffs or not making the playoffs or getting to the AFC, AFC divisional round uh, in, a, in a tight race there. So, yes, I do think that it, it changes it for me. I, I think he might just be enough to put them over to the, the top into where they want to go. Yeah, and I mean, look, if you can't stop some, if you can't stop anybody, you might as well outscore them. I think mm-hmm. if Julio Jones right. is healthy, this offense is, is scary. You, you kind of have the ultimate, like, pilot, right, in Ryan Tannehill. Maybe he's not going to be your, like, he's going to take you to the next level, but he's going he's gonna to steer the plane. And so now you've got AJ Brown, you've got Julio Jones, you have Derrick Henry. This is a really difficult offense. And we saw in that Browns game, I think we saw basically the whole Titans experience when the Browns played them last season, they gave up a bunch of points in the first half. 
but then they almost came back and won in the second half because they scored a bunch of points. It's going to be really interesting. I don't know if I view them as more of a threat than I did before, but this kind of solidifies them a little bit. They're a little more problematic if Julio's healthy and you've got to play them in the divisional round or or something like that. I I mean, they're a better football team for this, for sure. I I just still don't know if they can stop anybody, but there just might be some games where it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're right about that. But I do think it, it gives them that extra oomph, that extra something that you have to worry about, you know, in, in that particular game. I mean, it, it might have been enough for them to win that game. Right. And that yeah. makes that makes a huge difference. I mean, if they win that game, then the Browns don't make the playoffs. That's how close this all is. So, yes, a guy like that can make all the difference, especially for a team like that. I mean, the Browns already have sort of an embarrassment of riches in the pass catching realm. And we're not sure how they're going to get the ball around to all of these guys. I mean, there's a lot of mouths to feed. So I don't necessarily think that that was going to make the Browns offense because they already have a bunch of guys that can make the Browns offense, but it could make the Titans offense. It'll be a, it'll be an interesting offense to watch if, if Julio is the player he was back in 2019. You know, at worst, they're going to be very, very dangerous. Daniel from Moreland Hills. Hey, Mary Kay, you often speak about players needing to start because they were picked in the X round of the draft or because they were drafted by one GM or another. Wouldn't an analytics run team discount some of those factors and decide based only on current skill and talent? So I'm wondering, Mary Kay, like when you say, for example, when you say Jeremiah Wusukormo was picked in the second round, so he should be a starter. Is that more expectation or is it more he's going to start? It's expectation. And whenever I use that terminology, basically what I'm saying is when you're drafting well and you're a, you have a good front office, you absolutely 100% expect your first rounder to start you expect your second rounder to start. You expect your third rounders to be a key part of the rotation in their first year. So first, second, and third round. That's what you want to get out of those guys. That's how you draft uh, in, in those first few rounds. That's what you're aiming for. Not only that, you want your first rounder to be a pro bowler. You expect the first rounder is going to, at some point, for the most part, end up in a pro bowl for you. And in a perfect world, your second rounder would also end up in some Pro Bowls for you too. If you're drafting really well, that's what you're going to get. So no, this is not, oh, well, you know what? They drafted JOK in the second round. So regardless of what happens in training camp, JOK has to be the starter. That's not it at all. If someone else proves, if Malcolm Smith proves to be a better weak side linebacker in training camp than JOK and is going to give you a better opportunity to beat the Kansas City Chiefs and pairs better with Anthony Walker on that first day, then by all means, he should start. And that is the bottom line. You have to play your best players regardless of where they were drafted or anything like that. But the the, the notion there is that when you draft somebody in the first round and, and you draft somebody in the second round, they are going to be starters for your football team. Right. And that's all, that's how I've always heard it too. When, when you said that, I mean, like Greg Newsom, for example, right. I mean, there's a chance that he could come in and maybe he's not ready to start week one. If two or three years from now, we're sitting here talking about Greg Newsom as an extra corner, then that was a bad pick. Right. And the right. same with like JOK, right. If you know, two or three years from now, or even, you know, in some of these cases later and later this year, 
if, if we're talking about these guys, if, if they can't find a place for JOK to play and he's not contributing and he looks out of place, then you, you go back and you question that pick because that's what you're looking for when you make those picks. Absolutely. Your first and second rounders, 100% have got, have got to be starters or they're basically kind of busts. I mean, uh, you know, that's kind of where the bar is set, but that's what you 100%. Uh, that's why you spend those high draft picks on those guys. And that's really just the bottom line. I mean, if they, if they're not working out and they're not starting games for you and being a reason why you're winning games, then you blew those picks. Yeah. And then like, you know, you mentioned the third rounders, if we're not seeing contributions this year from Jordan Elliott and Jacob Phillips, that's a disappointment. You know, so, so those are sort of the things you're looking at because those, the deeper you get in the draft, the harder it is to find impact players. And so you, you know, those first round picks are so important. Second round picks, third round picks to a slightly lesser extent, but they're still, you can find guys who can be really good there and should be able to contribute to your football team there. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of the rule of thumb. And as you mentioned, the third round picks, Jacob Phillips and Jordan Elliott in a perfect world, you want your third rounders to become starters as well. You really want those guys to grow into a starting role. Maybe not by their second season, but certainly by their third. And, you know, you kind of have to get the ball rolling quickly because you, you, might, you might not have these guys for a second contract. So you, you do need to get them into the football game. So this year, I, I think Jacob Phillips is going to get every opportunity to prove that he deserves a really good long look at strong side backer, because I think that's the only place left for him to really try to get on the field a significant amount. Now he can rotate with Anthony Walker at Mike linebacker, but I think Anthony Walker is probably going to win that job. Now you never know. We know, we never know exactly how this is going to work out, but I think if, if the season started tomorrow and I had to field a base defense, I would go up front, it would be Miles Garrett. I'm still thinking Sheldon Richardson showing up. Maybe I'm going to be wrong about that. <laughs> Sheldon Richardson, Malik Jackson, or, or Andrew Billings, Jadavian Clowney, and then Jacob Phillips at strong side linebacker, Anthony Walker at Mike, and JOK at weak side backer. That's how I see it. That sounds about right. I don't know if I would put Billings necessarily. I might go a different. I might go with Jordan Elliott or somebody like that. But I mean, I could. I think that defensive tackle room could go a million different ways. So mm-hmm. who knows? And I, and as I mentioned, Malik Jackson or Andrew Billings. So yeah, I would right, have right. those guys. Okay. Uh, I had Malik Jackson there with a possible rotation of, of Andrew Billings, but you're right there. There are going to be a number of guys rotating in there. Okay. Robert Seltzer from El Paso always comes through with questions for us. So he says this, Hey, Mary Kay. We know that Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are capable of becoming the first Browns duo since Ernest Biner and Kevin Mack to gain a thousand yards each. But what is the possibility that the team has four 1000 yard gainers? And he points out Chubb and Hunt on the ground, Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham through the air. Now for context, the Browns only had one player last year who went over 1000 yards rushing or receiving that was Nick Chubb who rushed 4,000. They had two players who went over a thousand yards from scrimmage. And that was Nick Chubb and Kareem hunt. So how many thousand yard players can the Browns have Mary Kay? Well, I, I mentioned this in a, in a Hey MK the other day uh, that a written one 
where I talked about the fact that they have at least six players on offense right now that are more than capable of a 1,000 yard season. Those players are the four that you mentioned so far, Kareem, Nick, Jarvis, Odell. And then you can add Austin Hooper in there. Austin Hooper is capable of a 1,000 yard season for sure. And, uh, you know, you might be able to throw in, well, I guess that would be five, but I thought I had six. Am I missing somebody uh, that is also capable of a 1,000 yard season? Well, I know. I, I mean, mean I don't know if you've talked up, you've been talking up David Njoku this offseason. I don't know if he would, if he would have been the sixth. Oh, I mean, he's capable of, of a 1,000. So, yeah, that might oh, be. I don't know if he, would, but, anyways. So let's say five, they've got five guys that legitimately are capable of. And I do think that, that David Njoku would be able to come close to that if he were on a team where he were the number one tight end and he didn't have to share the load with so many other people. So those guys are all capable. Oh, Higgins. What about Rashad Higgins? Yeah, I mean, he, he is capable. He is capable. I think it would be hard because they don't play three wides that much. Let's say that everybody stays healthy. I think there is a world in which Nick, Kareem, Odell, and Jarvis could all get a thousand yards because there are 17 games this year. That helps, you know, that helps a lot. When I did the story about Nick and, and Kareem trying to get to a thousand each, they only need to each average 58.8. Now that might be kind of hard for Kareem to do if you're giving the ball mostly to Nick Chubb, which they will, he'll still be that workhorse. But, you know, maybe they will mix it up a little more, knowing that he can get to at least 1,000 easier than he did before because he has 17 games in which to do it. So maybe they'll give Kareem a little bit more of an opportunity, and they want to keep these guys healthy and fresh all the way through the playoffs. So maybe they'll divide up that workload a little bit, and those guys can both each – they can each get their 1,000. Same thing with, with Odell and Jarvis. When we look back to last year, there was a dry spell when there were cold, these three cold weather games where there just wasn't much offense happening. But if they, if that doesn't happen again and, and they can kind of hit the ground running right from the start this year, it took a while for them to get going, but that shouldn't happen this year. They should be up and running early on. I mean, if in a perfect world, again, maybe not against Kansas city Chiefs right away, but they could be scoring 30 points almost every week. Right. I mean, they, they can do that. They have, the explosiveness and the ability to do that. So I do think that it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for four guys to each get a thousand yards. You know, that 17th game is, is big, obviously. I think you'll definitely get both backs, at least from, you know, total yards, both backs will get over a thousand, I think pretty easily. I don't know if they'll both rush for a thousand. I guess it just depends how they, they kind of divide all of that up and how much they throw the ball, how much they run the ball. But yeah, I mean, there's no reason they can't get two receivers over a thousand yards but I mean I think they are going to throw the ball a lot more this year and you know that's one of my 21 questions is how the Browns offense might look different and that's one of the things that I'm going to look into is you know are are they going to throw the ball more like they did towards the end of last year I think they're going to go to the air even against Kansas City let's not forget we went into that game thinking oh Kansas City's run defense isn't good and how did the Browns come out and attack them they threw the ball so I, I think this is going to be a pass heavy offense that relies on the screen game a little bit. You know, I mean, Nick Chubb catches a screen pass early in that game. It might've been a completely different game. So I, I think we're, I think we're going to see more Baker Mayfield throwing and, and some of that shorter, quicker stuff too in the screen game. So I think we're going to have 
a lot of opportunities for Browns players to get over a thousand yards, whether it's in one category or whether it's combined. Yeah. And when, and look back to, to last season and you see, and we've talked about this before, you see some really low scoring games. And I don't think those games are necessarily going to happen again. Right. You had the Houston Texans weather game. You had the Raiders weather game. Then you had the blowout uh, at the hands of the Baltimore Ravens in the opener. You had the blowout by the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? I, I don't see a whole lot of seven point seven point losses this this year. I, I don't see that happening. I think there there will be far more thirty point games. I think you're going to see an off an explosive offense like the Chiefs, where on any given Sunday they are going to be sort of lighting it up. And then let's also not forget when we talk about that passing situation that against the jets, when they had no receivers, Baker Mayfield threw the ball 53 times. Mm -hmm. So this team is not going to be shy about throwing the football. I I think regardless of situation. Okay. I think we'll wrap it up there on our Hey Mary Kay edition of the orange and Brown talk podcast. As usual, our football insider subscribers come through with good questions for us. If you want to be a football insider, go to cleveland.com slash Browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page. So for Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening everybody.